All righty. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <clears throat> I, I have to, like, play the, the theme song in my head. You know? No, I don't know. <laughs> You're listening <laughs> to the Jets podcast. <laughs> All right, three, two. The game is over. The New York Jets are the world champions. You play to win the game. He's got it. That's a Jet touchdown. Can't wait. You're listening to the official New York Jets podcast, a Jets 360 production. All right, we're back in studio here on the official Jets podcast. Ethan Greenberg, Eric Allen here. It's been a while. It's yeah. been like a month. It's been, it's, it's been it you feels know, like a month. It feels like a month. I gotta a give, lot has happened. I got to give props out to Matt Miller. He was our last guest on the official Jets podcast, and he did a tremendous job. As far as breaking down the draft for us as we just got back from Indianapolis and the NFL scouting combine and then previewing free agency. But by the time we put that up, a lot of deals were being consummated in that legal tampering period. The legal tampering period really gets you because free agency officially starts on Wednesday or it started on a Wednesday, but most of the priority free agents deals were done before that time. So everything became official then or at that point moving forward. But you know, I was debating whether we should come into the studio today because actually I continue to look at our numbers sometimes and I just see that free agency preview podcast that number's going up and up and up so people are still listening to it. All right. Well, we'll make you guarantee or at least I'll make you guarantee right here on the Official Just Podcast is that Moving forward from here to the draft, we will be better at getting in studio. We've been all over the place. A lot has happened. But we're not going to go in chronological order here, EA, because the big news since we've last been in this studio is that the Jets have traded up to number three overall in the 2018 NFL Draft. They go from six to three with the Indianapolis Colts. This move really shaped the draft in a different manner than what we were talking about with Matt Miller because yep. we were debating, oh, what happens with the Colts at three and the Browns at four? Well, I've been saying all along. Back? I've been saying all along that the Indianapolis was the flashpoint at you three. Did. You right? did. You did. You you have said. Not that? trying to give myself credit, but I. No, just, you, you should give no, yourself credit. No, I just credit. looked at. I looked at that. At that spot is the natural trading spot early on, it, but boy. Was I surprised on March 17th when you were writing the article up on NewYorkJets.com that the Jets had traded up from six to number three overall. So surprised, in fact, I was in Basking Ridge taking my dogs on a dog walk. <laughs> were they at, surprised at, at the trade? At Lord Sterling Stables, yes. They barked out loud when I told them about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you heard about the trade, and let's go over the details here and is that the Jets swap first-round picks with the Colts. So the Colts get number six overall. The Jets go up to number three. And to move up those three spots, the Jets traded their two second-round picks from this year in 2018 and a 2019 second-round pick as well. So when you saw the compensation, what was your initial reaction? Because since you've talked with a number of people throughout the league just at the NFL annual league meeting, it seems that people have different opinions on what the Jets gave up. Well, you know, it's so early to say, okay, we're going to grade this trade. I think that's actually foolhardy. 
What I will say is that I think most people I talk to from an external perspective, of course the Jets are going to be happy about it because they wouldn't have made this trade unless they were going to be happy about it. But I, I think a lot of pundits out there, a lot of people who cover the National Football League think that A, the Colts did well, B, the Jets did well. Mm-hmm. So if there is a trade where both parties came out of it looking good and very happy with what ultimately happened, this is one. What Chad Pennington said to me in Orlando, and we'll hear from him later in the show, was that, hey, listen, the same people who have been clamoring for years that the Jets need a quarterback are now saying they gave up too much in terms of compensation. I've always been of the thought process that you never can give up too much if you like what you're getting. Most people externally think the Jets are making this move in order to get one of these top quarterbacks in the 2018 draft class. And we'll touch on the quarterbacks in a couple minutes here, but just on a compensation perspective is, you know, I think Albert Breer said it best when you interviewed him is that, you know, this has the potential, one, it's a win-win for both teams because a lot of people think the Colts needed to stack up on picks. They're still in the top 10, still can potentially get one of the blue chippers in this draft. And then from a Jets perspective is you make a move to get one of the players that you believe will change your franchise moving up from six to three, whether it's a quarterback. Coach Bowl said that there's five or six players that the team has in mind. But I think that you know, if the Jets hit on whatever player it is at three, and we're we're in these seats a couple of years from now, no one's going to remember the three second round picks because you went up and you got your guy. And I know a lot of people point to Carson Wentz and the Eagles when they traded up, they gave up a lot, and it panned out for them so far. Well, Jerry Goff too, the Rams yep. moving up, and then last year we saw the Bears move up just one spot to get Mitchell Trubisky. Um, when I look at the package, when you're talking about the three twos, what stands out to me is nice job by Mike McCagnan prior to the 2017 regular season, sending Sheldon Richardson to Seattle, not only getting Jermaine Curse back, but also getting a second-round pick. He packaged that pick this year along with the Jets' 2018 original second, and then obviously a 2019 second as well. So nice job by McCagnan there. I think on a macro level, you're sitting there at six, and McCagnan has drafted well at six so far during his tenure as Jets GM, getting Leonard Williams, a Pro Bowl defensive lineman. And then 2017, they come back with Jamal Adams, and the Jets secondary is really looking like a formidable unit as we progress here, and Adams is a big part of that. But they did not want to be on the outside looking in. And indeed, if they do have their eyes on a quarterback, Greens, they could have sat there at six and maybe three or four of their top guys on their board all could have been gone by the yeah. time they drafted at six. The, a couple of things I really like about this trade is, one, the timing of it, because there's always a surprise team in the first round somewhere that's going to want to trade up and get a quarterback. Last year it was the Chiefs when they traded up from the 20s all the way up to 10 and got Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, 27 to 10, right? 27 yep. to 10. Yep. So there's always going to be a team like that. And by trading up to number three, you've now forced teams that really want to trade up. And let's say they want to go to number two to the Giants to get ahead of the Jets. 
one, there's not a lot of a room to get ahead of the Jets because it doesn't seem like the Browns are giving up their number one overall pick. And two is that now you're going to have to give up a lot because the Giants saw what the Jets gave up and the teams that – I'm just going to use them as an example – is the Bills. A lot of people peg the Bills as one of the teams that has the draft capital to move up. So if they decide to move up, you know, if they want to go to number two – they're probably going to have to give up a lot more than what the Jets did because they're at 12. Well, and I wonder what that compensation is, too, if the Bills really want to get up there. Is it three ones? Is it 12 and 21 this year and then an additional one in 2019? That might do it. That's a lot. Also, I don't know if the Giants would want to move back that far. I do think that there could be a possibility, obviously, where the Jets are going to be the second team who takes a quarterback because when I was in Orlando Greens, the feeling I got was Cleveland is either going to take Sam Darnold out of USC with that first overall selection and maybe an outside possibility at Josh Allen. Number two, now the Giants ultimately become that flashpoint. Mm -hmm. Do they stay there? Do they take a Barkley? Do they take a Nelson? Do they take a Bradley Chubb? Or do they trade out and... Like you were mentioning, is it a team like Buffalo? Is it a team like Miami, Arizona? Who knows? But it's going to take a lot to get up there yeah. to number two. But we'll have to see what happens. And if the Giants don't go quarterback, then the Jets could be sitting there with a lot of fascinating names. But as it stands now, even if quarterbacks go one, two, and you take a quarterback three, he's going to be a good player and a player a lot of people have talked highly about throughout their college careers, no matter who it is. All right, real quick before we hear from Jets general manager Mike McCagnin, is that the one other thing that I love about this trade is that the Jets kept the first-round pick next year in 2019. I think that was a big reason why Mike McCagnin felt like it was important to get up to three without giving up a number one next year, whereas let's say he wanted to go up to number one with the Browns, you probably would have had to give up that it, pick. It's a great point, Greens, and uh, and that's one thing that we all have to keep in mind, that the Jets still have six selections in 2018, and as you mentioned, they still have their first rounder in 2019. Ideally, you want to build this thing through the draft. You still have six draft picks. Again, credit McKagan on the Richardson curse deal when you look at this, but for us to fairly look at the trade, we're going to have to talk about this on a podcast in 2021, in mm-hmm. 2022. But I like the aggression. I think a lot of the fans like the aggression. And they were lauded for this move by most people I talked to in Orlando, even though the compensation was great. All right. I think it's about time that we hear from the architect himself and Jets GM Mike McCagnin. We felt very good about potentially moving up in this draft. We thought there were some very good players in the top part of the draft, and the third spot was a good spot to be in from the, you know, the players we liked and we think may potentially be there. When Todd and I first came here, our long-term goal was to have a team that had a, a, you know, a young core of players but also be a team that can go out there and compete for the playoffs on a yearly basis. You know, we obviously gave up some good picks. Uh, but we were able to hold on to our first-round draft pick going forward, which is important to us. And we feel if we can uh, you know, have a solid draft here and maybe get the, a player or two that we really targeted, uh, we'll see how it plays out going forward. Great stuff there from Mike McCagnin. EA, 
Coach Bowles met with the media for an hour during the, the time in Orlando, and he said that there are about five to six guys that the team has its eye on right now. As we stand in early April, the draft is less than a month away. This is exciting times, especially if you're a Jets fan, because we've talked about it. We're number three in the NFL draft. Top three selection coming up April 26th. EA, I know a lot of fans, a lot of pundits across the league believe the Jets are going to select a quarterback at number three. Mm -hmm. So let's break down these guys real quick. The four guys that everyone believes are the top four guys, and I'm not everyone, probably not. Most people believe is the top four. Sam Darnold out of USC, Josh Rosen out of UCLA, Josh Allen out of Wyoming, and the Heisman Trophy winner Baker Mayfield out of Oklahoma. Another guy you can throw into the mix, and I think is a wild card, is Lamar Jackson. Do I think he's going to be drafted over any of those four? Probably not, but it wouldn't stun me if maybe Jackson vaults over one of those guys, but I still say probably not. Maybe he's the fifth guy taken off the board. Maybe it's Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma State. There's some other interesting Mm -hmm. players in this draft that you covered down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, but... Let's just start off with Darnold. I think as of today, again, this can change tomorrow when the podcast uh, goes up on iTunes. (laughs) As of today, you would say that Sam Darnold is the favorite to land with the Browns. Just 20 years old, young guy. He can't even buy a drink at a bar yet, but somebody (laughs) is going to give him the keys to their franchise, what people like about him most greens. We've talked about this a lot. He's bigger. He's thick. He can improvise, he can run with the football a little bit, and he's very comfortable throwing the football on the run. Also, a lot of people praise him for his leadership qualities. Could be the Browns' number one overall selection. I think there's an outside chance that guy could be Josh Allen. The more I talk to people in the league, the more you hear about this buzz developing around Josh Allen. You know at Green's the big knock on him has been completion percentage, a 56% guy at Wyoming, but he has elite arm talent. And the other thing he has is that he's a good athlete. That's the thing that people are underrating about Allen. He's a guy who can tuck it and run, and he's a monster. 6'5", 230 pounds. People are saying, okay, well, why is someone like that playing for a mid-major at Wyoming is that I was reading an article today. He was like 5'9", 170 in high school. He was a very late bloomer. He went to he actually went to a community college, Reed League Community College in California, and then transferred to Wyoming, has the same head coach as Carson Wentz did at North Dakota State. So a lot of people have compared them as a pro comp for him in Carson Wentz. Just because the, the mid-major aspect, the mid-major aspect, the, big the guy. size, yes. the athletic yep. ability, yep. and obviously Carson Wentz has panned out so far through two years in the NFL. But Josh Allen is an intriguing case because he's he's very well polished in all his interviews. He's very well spoken. He has a ridiculous arm strength, and he's a freak athlete. And a lot of these guys are freak athletes, but you know he he sure looks good when he throws the ball in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and i know a lot of people are saying okay well how are you going to tell me that josh allen's completion percentage has improved since we saw him at wyoming to now and a uh, a lot of pundits that have analyzed josh have said that his feet look better from a mechanic standpoint which enables him to deliver a more accurate ball well that's the key with all these guys is that 
What are they now as a prospect, and also what are they joining? Who's going to be coaching these guys up at the next level? Because that is key as far as organizational structure. I like what the Jets have here because I thought Jeremy Bates did a fantastic job last year. The other thing that the Jets did, and we'll talk about this when we review free agency, is they brought Josh McCown back. McCown is a perfect mentor for whatever quarterback you potentially add to the equation because he's a guy who still plays at a high level. He understands the system. He has thrived under Jeremy Bates, and he's the consummate professional. So I'm feeling very good about the structure that Jets currently have in place. Uh, You mentioned Wyoming's coach and Josh Allen. Let's go to the other Josh to talk about Josh Rosen. Wow. Each day something different is coming out from the West Coast from his former coach, Jim Moore, respected guy who had success in the National Football League with the Atlanta Falcons, um, coached UCLA the last few years. Rosen was a prize recruit. He is a tremendous mechanic guy, Rosen, as far as just sitting in the pocket. Uh, I think he's the best pure pocket passer of the entire group. Uh, really solid footwork. He looks like a pro quarterback. With that being said, we're not talking too much about his physical skills right now. We're talking about what his former (laughs) college coach has said about him or hasn't said about him, Greens. It's pretty interesting hearing Jim Mora, who coached Rosen, like you said, take national TV and say that the Browns should take Sam Darnold Number one overall. That he'd be a better fit in Cleveland. That he'd be better, a better fit in Cleveland. Mind you, Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen are both California boys. They're both, they both went to California schools. They both grew up in California. And then Morris said he'd be a better fit for one of the New York teams, whether it be the Giants or the Jets. He said if, if either the Giants or the Jets had the first pick, he'd take Rosen instantly. Yeah, to paraphrase, uh, Mora is that he said that Rosen is a millennial. He's an intellectual, and he needs to be challenged. And he can thrive, but what is he going to be doing off the field? So uh, he has been in the media a lot lately. I know he made an appearance on NFL Network. Uh, Peter King from Monday Morning Quarterback, a former guest of the podcast uh, here, also wrote about more this week. So it seems like there's news coming out each and every day about him. But again... You can't deny this guy's talent. He's a talented football player. Does he love the game? Do you want him to have the keys of your franchise? These are things that I'm not asking, that other people throughout the league are asking. If you take him, you have to be sure. But you can say that about any of these guys. Many believe that. He's the most pro-ready out of the four. Yeah. Because you can, you that, can, you can put him on fair. the field. Like you said, he's one of the most polished passers of recent memory in the NFL draft. He anticipates throws well. And when you watch He throws guys breakdown. open. That's yeah, what, the, yeah. what scouts would tell you. He throws guys open. And, and, and you have to do that. He, he's very impressive when you look at him throw the ball. And the question has never been an on-field. It's always been off-field. And someone else that you were about to bring him up that's had off-field concerns in the past is Baker Mayfield out of Oklahoma. Again, no one's questioning his on-field performance either because he's very efficient. Even though he played in a system that's quarterback-friendly, he completed near 70% of his passes for his career. Yep. He walked on at both Texas Tech and Oklahoma. He won the Heisman Trophy. 
his ridiculous stats, touchdown to interception ratio through the roof. But you're, it, you're on social media all the time. I, I, I get the sense. Not all the time, most times. Oh, okay. I, I have Twitter open all, all day, though. Yeah, sometimes your phone is glued to your head. But I would say that don't you think that Jets fans, there is a loud, I don't know if it's a minority or majority on social media, they're in the Baker Mayfield Oh, camp. yeah, big time. You think that's fair? Uh, I, I think... Personally, I think Baker Mayfield has New York written on all, all over him. He, uh-huh. li- he likes the spotlight. He shines bright when the lights are big. Uh, even though you might bring up the Rose Bowl, he had a tremendous first half, not so much in the second half. Yep. But he's someone that just kind of he does his own thing, and I think New Yorkers kind of like the attitude about him. I don't think they're saying they like when he gets run down by the cops or you know when he makes Gr- grabs his crotch, yeah, uh, grabs his crotch uh, uh, at the Kansas sideline, yeah. but. I think some people did like that one, though, because if, if you don't know anything about that game, Baker Mayfield was at the coin toss. Yeah, he, one of the team captains. One of the team captains. And they refused to shake his they hand, They didn't right? shake his hand, and yeah. they got in his face, and Baker Mayfield lit yeah. them up. Here's the thing about Baker Mayfield is that uh, 131 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. You mentioned his completion percentage. Uh, the one quality that stands out about him more than anything else is that he is hyper-competitive and you got to love that. Now, how do teams rate him as far as his size? Are there detractors? Remember, Russell Wilson is a guy lasting to the third round. He was a tremendous college quarterback, not just at Wisconsin, but at NC State. Mm-hmm. I think he's more of a polished runner or more of an explosive runner. I don't R- think you're I, talking about Russell. Yeah, Wilson. I don't yeah. think I don't think Baker Mayfield is a runner. We should no. we should look at him as a guy who can extend plays, but he's looking to make plays down the field. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I'm just saying he's not unique from that standpoint. Remember, Drew Brees, way back in the day, when he was coming out, people questioned his height. Yep. So San Diego took a flyer on him. What was it, late first? or Yeah, it panned out, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah late first round. And he's been able to be successful despite being right. I, 6'1". I, I have a comparison for Baker Mayfield's pocket awareness yep. and movement. Because you mentioned a lot of people compare him to Drew Brees. Well, Drew Brees is, you know, he's more of a, a statue back there, even though he's he's obviously much older. Well, I older. think he's got fantastic fo- footwork. Oh, I don't even oh, want to say statue. No, no, I, I'm saying, but he's not someone that's scrambling yes, left and right. I agree with that. I, I would say someone that Baker Mayfield is similar to in that aspect would be someone like Tony Romo. Oh. He, you know, he, he escapes pressure, yep. he runs laterally, and if he needs to, after he looks downfield, he'll tuck it and run for, a, you know, five yards yep. and slide. Yep. But I, I think that would be a similar comparison in the way that they dance around in the pocket and behind the line of scrimmage. I actually asked Sirius XM's Jim Miller about Baker Mayfield and the Jets, specifically just saying, hey, do they match as far as system is concerned? And Jim Miller thinks that Baker Mayfield would succeed, hmm. would excel in a system that Jeremy Bates has here with West Coast Concepts. He thinks it's right up his alley. Well, that's funny you mentioned that because I was that was my next point is out of the guys that we just mentioned, you talked about Jeremy Bates before. We don't really know what kind of offense it's going to be. But we know Bowles has, Bowles has talked about that uh, one thing we can expect this year is some more balance. Right. Okay. Yep. So out of the quarterback crops, how do you think these guys would, in theory, project in a bait style offense 
And not only that is we 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 said Rosen was the most pro ready. Yeah. Who do you believe maybe would sit for a year and kind of really embrace the mentee role to someone like Josh McCown? I, I, I would hope none of them would want to. Sit. I'm not saying want no, to. no. But you said embrace. I'm serious. Uh, I'm not taking a shot at you. I'm saying I want these guys to come out and you want the football now. I think if any of them were here under McCown, they would learn. Even Baker Mayfield, who's been on record saying that, I'm not going anywhere to be a backup quarterback. Well, that's all well and good. But if, if McCown outperforms you early, and McCown will be the Jets starter heading into training camp, regardless of whether the Jets take a quarterback at number three yep. overall, Todd Bowles has been clear about that, is that I think any of these guys would not flourish, but that would help them take their next steps as a pro, learning under a guy like McCown and also learning under uh, Jeremy Bates. System-wise, I think they all have the potential to be good NFL quarterbacks to very good and maybe outstanding. Greens, I would not be scared of any of them as far as the Mm -hmm. system is concerned or the situation they're walking in here with the Jets. Because not only they have McCown, but they have Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know Teddy too much. I got a chance to interview him, sit down with him for like three, four minutes when he came in here and he signed his contract. Everybody talks about these two guys as unbelievable character people. and We know about McCown firsthand, so now you add Bridgewater into the mix. So, uh, you know, I think that's a great quarterback room for any young quarterback to walk into. All right, en- enough from us. Let- let's go check in with Chad Pennington. You caught up with him at the annual league meeting to get his thoughts on the quarterbacks too. And to me, it's a very dynamic group. It's diverse. I think you can look at each one of these quarterbacks and say, okay, this guy does this very well, and then the next guy does something a little bit different. I think when you draft a quarterback as young as Sam Darnold, you have to really take a page of history and look at the Alex Smith situation. can't just place organization on his shoulders at 20. It's just not going to work. How about Josh Rosen? He was so productive out of the pocket at UCLA. Well, I think uh, when you look at his footwork, he's polishing his footwork. Uh, I think on film he's shown that he will stand in the pocket and make throws under duress. And so what you look at is can he handle the volume of information you want him to handle? How fast can he do that, and does he fit in your long-term plan? How about Josh Allen? He played at Wyoming, so a lot of folks didn't get a chance to see him. But people love his arm strength, and he's a big guy. Yeah, Josh Allen is a guy who has tremendous upside. I think you look at his athleticism, his arm talent, and you say this is a guy that will also need some time to develop. But if we handle him correctly, he could certainly be a very productive professional in the future. I don't think you need to really focus on the – the uh, accuracy issue as far as um, completion percentage, you need to really study those throws and see what's happening. You also got to say, hey, he can play in cold weather. He can play in bad weather. Playing in Wyoming, it's going to be some similar situations playing in New York. So that's something that's a positive that he can handle. What's going to be the key for Baker Mayfield as he makes his pro transition? 131 touchdowns at Oklahoma, just 30 interceptions. He's a guy who's got good feet, can move around in that pocket. He's always looking to extend the play and make the right decision. On the other side of the coin, uh, a lot of people are questioning maybe uh, some of his personality off the field, perhaps. Some of his personality uh, issues or 
ideas off the field are overblown. I don't think we should go down that rabbit hole with him. I think what you look at him, first of all, in my opinion, he's probably the most purest passer mm. in this draft. When I watched him at the Combine, the ball came out really clean. He understood mechanics and fundamentals. I think from a football perspective, you want to make sure that if you draft Baker, that you put him in the right position to be successful within your system. There's certain things you're going to ask him to do and certain things that you're not going to ask him to do. You've got to look at some of the other ways other teams have done that with smaller stature quarterbacks. And then finally, you've got to make sure the structure's around him where he understands as long as he keeps it about football, he'll be fine. Uh, if he lets other things, the entertainment value of this league, get to him, that's when it makes it really challenging and difficult. All right, that was Chad Pennington here on the official Jets podcast. And again, Ethan Greenberg and Eric Allen bringing you trade news as it's been a while, as we mentioned. Not trade news, trade breakdown. Trade breakdown, thank you. That's a better word choice. Trade breakdown, because last time we were in these seats, it was pre-free agency. So let's actually touch on free agency now, because we have yet to do that. The Jets made a number of moves very early in the free agency period, whether it be the legal tampering period or when free agency actually began that Wednesday, March 14th at 4 p.m. And Mike McCagnan said very early, he said in January, we're going to be active, we're going to be active on the first day. And he kept true to his word. So many places to dive in. Where do you want to start? I think I'll start with Jermaine Johnson because McCagnan said we'll be looking at big ticket players. And they punch your ticket with Jermaine Johnson. You can make the argument that he was the top cornerback on the market. I know Malcolm Butler went from New England to Tennessee, but uh, Tremaine Johnson, I think, is going to be a perfect fit here. Not only does he join those ascending young safeties who are going to help him patrol, but he's also a guy who flourished under Jets defensive backs coach Denard Wilson with the Rams. So there's familiarity there. Mm -hmm. I like that. And the Jets' secondary, I think that's where you have to start with free agency. Is the Jets secondary. Bowles said that this is the most versatile and athletic group he will have coached here. And there's no doubt about that. Because not only did they add Trumaine Johnson, but they re-signed Morris Claiborne. That went under the radar big time. So uh, Buster Screen's still here. He probably figures to uh, maybe play more nickel. Mm-hmm. Next year, but Bulls said, "Hey, listen. Depending on the situation, they all can go. Buster still can go outside, and obviously, you got the safety. So, when you're thinking about the Jets, the first thing that comes to mind is their secondary. They got better there again because not only is True part of this unit, <laughs> but so is True. Mo. True part of the unit. So, that is a pun in there somewhere. So is Mo. So uh, you know that was a big resigning. I think the Morris Claiborne resigning really." solidifies that room to a next level. Obviously, Tremaine Johnson comes. He's a big-ticket guy. He's you know 18 interceptions, 67 pass defenses in six seasons. Very impressive, long, rangy. He said he can play anything. He said he's a playmaker. I think that room, that New Jack City room, they like to call themselves that, is with Johnson, Claiborne, Screen, Adams, May. I mean, Bull said it perfectly, is that this is the most versatile and athletic group He's been a part of and that he's coached. And I, I, from an outsider's perspective, from someone that doesn't coach that room, I would agree. And I think it's a very talented room. I'm excited to see how they gel on and off the field. And you actually talked with Sean McVay at the owners' meetings about Trumaine Johnson, and he was raving about Johnson. 
Yeah, he's a special player. You know, I think the one thing about Tremaine is he's one of those rare athletes that he's got the size, the rare ball skills, but then he can also come up and bump you. He can play off with vision. So he's one of those players that really fits into any sort of system. He's a true corner that influences and affects the game in a variety of ways. And, you know, he was voted captain by his teammates last year. So, you know, you're getting a guy that's going to come in and be the right kind of guy in the locker room and, you know, hate to lose him. You know, very fortunate to have that year of experience with Tremaine and, you know, wish him nothing but the best. And, and you guys are getting a great one in him. Not only did the Jets sign Johnson and re-sign Claiborne, but then they have a new Mike linebacker and Avery Williamson who came over from the Tennessee Titans. Demario Davis went down to the Big Easy, and he's now a member of the New Orleans Saints. Williamson is someone that, just listening to Coach Bowles speak last week, that he's very excited to see what Williamson can do because he described him a tackling machine. He's like 26 years old. He's young. He's hard-hitting. He has a nose for the ball. Yeah. And yeah. then the Jets also beefed up their defensive line. They've re-signed Xavier Cooper, Mike Pinnell. Going back to Williamson real quick is that uh, I also find it very interesting that uh, given Adam Schefter in his podcast a plug that is that Bowles said that he's a guy we really expect to step up as far as communication verbally and take the next step as far as maybe the leader is concerned because no DeMario Davis and the Jets were very thankful for his contributions and we all wish DeMario well. What a what a great professional. He kind of revived his career here last year and he just signed with the Saints and he'll have a chance to probably go to the playoffs and have an extended run anytime you pair up with Drew Brees. But Bowles did say Darren Lee, he, you know, he's expecting big things out of him. So I thought that was very interesting. So then he flipped to the offensive side yeah. of the ball. Offensive line, Spencer Long comes in. Bulls like that position flexibility. That's one thing he stressed is that guy started out as a guard. He transitioned over to center so he can play that position for the Jets. Isaiah Crowell, a former member of the Cleveland Browns, a hard-charging running back. A guy who was an accomplished runner in Cleveland. And he also can catch the ball out of the backfield. And then finally Terrell Pryor. I thought that was interesting signing because he didn't put up much numbers in Washington last year, but he was banged up. The previous year, in 2016, he was a 1,000-yard receiver, and he's another guy that Bulls likes. He's got, you know, that interesting size-speed combination because he's a big guy, tall, rangy, and he can run. You actually asked Hugh Jackson about both those guys, and he coached both of them before Pryor went to Washington. Boy, he's very athletic. You know, he's a big guy. He has the ability to catch the ball. He can run with anybody, and he's bigger than both defensive backs. So uh, he's a very talented player. I expect him to do great things in New York. I want to talk about Pryor for a second because this guy is a converted quarterback from college and the NFL. He came to the NFL as a quarterback. Then he made a transition to receiver. He had a very successful season in 2016 when Josh McCown was in Cleveland there. And... I mean, if you watch some of the, some of his highlights, they're very, very impressive. And the rate at which he developed to becoming a wide receiver in the NFL is astronomical to me because, you know, it seemed like overnight he just became one of the league's top receivers. And last year he was hampered by injuries. And I, he seems to be very excited to come here based on his social media posts. And I'm very excited to see what this wide receivers room looks like in camp because you add in the addition or the re-addition of Quincy Anunua, who missed all of last season with a neck injury. Right. So, and, yeah, a couple of injury updates yeah. real quick is that Bulls said that uh, 
he liked to see a, a new uh, run around a little bit in the spring. He said, uh, you know, that's uh, one thing uh, he, he's looking forward to. Marcus May is still a little bit banged up with the ankle. Uh, Bowles did not say whether he's going to be able to participate in spring. He expects him back for a training camp. And then last but not least, we've got to speak about the quarterback position, free agency. The oh, Jets re-signed Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater added to the mix. Bowles said he'd like to see Bridgewater throw in the spring. He expects him to throw, and Bridgewater did pass his physical, obviously, and he's a new member of that quarterback room. A lot of analysts really like the Teddy Bridgewater signing because it's very low risk, potentially high reward. I mean, before he had his gruesome knee injury with the Vikings, he was a pro bowler in 2015 in his sophomore year. And uh, what, they, they went? They made the playoffs. Yeah, they won the NFC North and then the devastating knee injury in yep. 2016. He played a handful of snaps last year in 2017. You know, this is a chance for him uh, to restart. Uh, you know, he obviously worked so hard to get back on the field last year. So we'll have to see what happens. But uh, Bowles, again, he expects him to throw in the spring. Uh, you know, this is potentially a high-reward signing for the Jets. Um, but getting McCown back was huge as well. And, you know, so the Jets, as expected, very busy in free agency. The big-ticket guy was Johnson. He's the guy that stands out to me. But then uh, you're getting complimentary parts along the way. We talked about it before free agency started, is that sometimes – what happens in free agency is there's a lot of teams positioned with cap flexibility, and these guys with monster names who you anticipate are going to become free agents. It really doesn't happen. For the Jets this year, they went after Kirk Cousins. He was the big fish, so to speak. When it became clear that he was going to sign with the Minnesota Vikings, they quickly pivoted and they moved on. Just for the record, I know in different interviews and whatnot, plan A is the term coined for Kirk Cousins, and then plan B is what's currently happening. Plan B and plan A do not have a significant drop-off to me because Christopher Johnson said it. Plan B has a is looking like it's going to be pretty, what was the word he used? Pretty magnificent. Pretty magnificent. Yeah, well, let's see what happens. You know, bottom line is that uh, that trade to number three wasn't, going to happen or it didn't become clear that it was going to happen until it seemed very real that Cousins was going to go to Minnesota because the Jets brass in Orlando said listen we've been talking about a trade-up since the season ended once they looked at Cousins and it became clear that he was not going to be joining the green and white then they moved on not only getting McCown not only getting Bridgewater but making that trade it is a very exciting time not only this year, because the Jets made a number of moves in free agency, number three overall pick in the draft, but then real quick before we close up shop here is when you look at the long-term plan ahead, EA, you've talked about it a number of times that the Jets have almost $100 million in cap space. Again, next free agency. And if you look right now, who's going to be on the market? There are some very intriguing players, and obviously there's a lot of time between now and then, and that could change. But as it stands now, the Jets are not only setting themselves up this year, but for the years to come. Yeah, you just rather have flexibility moving forward. You never want to enter a season where you're saying, hey, we don't have much room to maneuver. Again, much like this spring, the Jets will have room to maneuver. Again, the key point in that 
uh, you know, coming full circle to the trade is the Jets still have six picks in the 2018 draft. They still have their first rounder in 2019. They still want to build this thing through the draft. And again, what that money means next year, Greens, is you can potentially pick up another guy like a Trumaine Johnson. You know, because it's not all the time guys like Trumaine Johnson hit the market. Yep. And when they do, will you have the flexibility to go after a guy like that? And in this case, the Jets were. So automatically you look at their secondary and say, wow, they really solidified themselves. Now with this trade to number three overall, the Jets could be poised. They're taking a quarterback. Who that is, we don't know. The guessing games are going to continue over the next three weeks. Again, I think the flashpoint is the draft becomes crosstown now. It's the Giants at two. What do they do if they don't take a quarterback? Are they poised to move out? Would they take a running back that early, like a Saquon Barkley? After trading Jason Pierre-Paul, would they take a Bradley Chubb that early? And you mentioned Quentin Nelson before. An interior lineman, yes, you want to build your lines on both sides of the ball and be strong in the trenches, be fortified in the trenches. But me... From an outsider's perspective, I'd be surprised if they take Quentin Nelson number two. So what happens there, because the Jets could be staring at three of those top four quarterbacks if the Giants don't take a quarterback at two. Potentially, though, they could move out. They'll have trade conversations. Yep. All those teams are going to have trade conversations. Remember, McKagan, before completing that trade with Indianapolis, he had talks with Cleveland at number one overall. He did not have talks with the Giants. Six words here for the audience before we wrap up here is, we will be back next week. Because EA and I have only had two podcasts on the official Jets podcast since the start of free agency, but we will be back next week and the week after that and the week after that and the week after that and then it's the NFL draft and then the week after that and the week after that. The show must go on. Again, this is the official Jets podcast. Ethan Greenberg and Eric Allen bringing you all things Jets. That was the trade free agency recap and again, be sure to tune in next week. Okay.